This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Yo, what is up, guys? We are back with another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. With me, I got my boy AC. What's good, y'all? I got my guy Eric. Yes, sir. And y'all know me, it's Anu. All right, so today's pod is going to be a rather fun one, honestly, and it's going to have a lot of stuff that I know a lot of people might not know about, but it's going to be NBA beefs. Now, Eric, I know that you in particular, you're a guy who follows a lot of these beefs. You know, you keep in track of all the stuff that goes on within the course of the league. You know, everyone loves drama, right, my guy? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, everyone loves drama. I particularly like chaos <laughs> in people's pers- <laughs> interpersonal dynamics. <laughs> and like, I like looking at things on a micro level, seeing how interpersonal dynamics can sometimes destroy like team unity and the retrospectives on what could have been yeah so what i love about the nba is the personalities right in professional basketball we get to see the players when they're on the court we get to see how they interact there is no helmet there is no mask they're wearing we kind of get their interactions that we can see from just our eyes but also there's sort of larger than life figures who are followed outside of basketball as well So we get in this league, these conflicts within teams and also between players on different teams. And this is not a new thing. We have, you know, going all the way back to the start of this league, this league has almost been built on these rivalries that sometimes have derailed teams, as Eric alluded to. So Eric, if we're going to start off talking about beefs, I think we got to start with the biggest beef, at least of this century in the NBA. What do you think that is? Oh, it has to be Kobe and Shaq. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And I I feel like that's the beef that even casual fans have some idea of like the conflict that that went down and how that potential like all time dynasty. And they did win, of course, three rings with each other. But all of us know that they probably could have won even more. But yeah, that that one is definitely as far as the last 20, 25 years, the most important one. So set the stage for us, Eric. I mean, what what I recall about that beef is Kobe and Shaq were coming off this three-peat. They were absolutely dominating the league. I, I, I say this to everyone when they talk about the dominance of the Warriors or maybe the old Bulls. No team was scary to root against in that team when Shaq was in his physical peak. And on top of that, you had Kobe Bryant doing his little Jordan facsimile. It was just, it was just too much. It was too overwhelming. And then it all fell apart. How did that happen? Yeah, so that team, and I, I think people really forget this, Kobe actually was just entering his prime after the 3 P. So you have a, a young ascendant Kobe. You have a, probably the most dominant big man as far as in his prime, the most dominant big man I had ever seen. And they were just finishing a 3 P. And they had already had some type of like uh, apparently internecing issues with each other, like in camp and, and stuff like that. But 
never anything that had snowballed into being a larger issue. But on one fateful evening in Colorado, Kobe had an incident with a woman where he was accused of rape. And in the process of being like locked up, Kobe, for whatever reason, just lets drop that Shaq gets into situations that are similar and he pays the women off and it's never spoken about. And, and this comes to the forefront. This information gets leaked and it was pretty much all she wrote. These guys suddenly hated each other. I mean, the funniest thing about this is it was almost like, well, Shaq does it too, <laughs> right? That was, that was kind of the allegation here. And I mean... Shaq described later that he wanted to kill Kobe that day. Like he, like he would have killed him if he could have seen him that day. I mean, and I mean, unsurprisingly, who, who wouldn't have? Yeah, unsurprisingly, his marriage fell apart soon after that. So there's that whole dynamic going on here too. And not only that, but you can directly make a connection between that and something like the creation of basketball wives. That's a pop culture phenomenon with Kobe saying what he's saying, the dissolution of that marriage, and then Shaq's wife, Shawnee, starting this reality show that is pretty important as far as like American pop culture. It's just random. The things that were non-basketball related that Kobe, by snitching, created and like helped manifest. To be fair, there's also a little bit more than just this going on there because you have to remember that these were two apex stars. And in the history of the league, sometimes one of those stars wants to shine the brightest. And, and you know, the stage is only but so big. And there were other issues in, in interpersonality-wise. Shaq is a gregarious guy. He had lots of friends. He was a guy who was out and about, but not the best with the work ethic. Kobe was kind of the opposite. He was a bit of an introvert. The Most of that team was way older than him, but just Derek Fisher was around his age. And that dynamic sort of was already there. And then you throw in all these allegations and ultimately it became, uh, you know, only one of us can stay here and the team chose Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I mean, AC, you said it really well. It's exactly what I was thinking, too. I find that when you have these two huge personalities and they're so polarizing with how they carry themselves, it's almost like they just needed that one little little bit of a wedge to put in between them to really separate the two of them, but also kind of just blow up the team as a whole. And it's like, there it was, like, just the huge incident that happened in Colorado. And, and I don't know, I, I guess it sort of gave them even more of a reason and sort of drive to just go further and further apart from each other outside of the fact that their personalities didn't match and even the way they played was, like, two totally different beings, right? So it's definitely interesting to see. Well, it didn't just end there because Shaq goes to Miami, wins a championship, and then famously goes on stage. I can't remember exactly where he did this, but I, I, I could remember this video. The Kobe, tell me all your ass tastes. <laughs> Classic check. And then Kobe obviously comes back and wins two more rings. And so there was a little bit of this race to see who could get more. But ultimately, it did seem like in the decade that followed that there was a real thawing out. And, and Shaq, you know, well before Kobe's death and multiple times talked about, you know, his regard for Kobe pretty publicly and apparently in private, they also reconciled. So it does seem like they ultimately put aside their differences after both of their playing careers were over. Yeah, they put aside their differences. But I, for one, I had never seen anything like what Kobe Bryant did to a teammate ever happen in any sport. I like I I've literally sat there trying to find parallels 
to what Kobe Bryant did, and I, I just can't. I, I'm surprised Shaq eventually let bygones be bygones, but yeah, that was wild, man. Well, you said that you can't think of anyone doing anything just quite like what Kobe did, and that's probably fair. I mean, there's a lot of incidents of people, you know, ratting on teammates. I mean, don't forget the crazy incident where D'Angelo Russell <laughs> snitches <laughs> on Nick Young and um, his marriage to Iggy Azalea completely falls apart from that. So, you know, snitches like that happen, but I've never seen the defensive, oh, but he did it too <laughs> situation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a wild, like, it's such a wild thing. And, and the context of this is, and I, I have to, like, point this out all the time when I'm speaking about this. Kobe was literally dealing with something that's a felonious charge, like a rape charge. And he said, Shaq does this as well. So it wasn't just like, <laughs> he does it too. He's like, this man be out here committing felonies. I mean, e- even worse than that, Eric, like Kobe just blatantly outright admits that, hey, like, yeah, I fucking did this. And uh, look, other people are doing it, too. Like, it's a, it's just a bad, bad response by Kobe. It's honestly ridiculous to even think. Bro, about. When, like, when has that ever gotten anyone out of trouble? Well, yeah, <laughs> I did this, but everybody be doing it. It reminds me of, like, those arguments you get in, in, like, middle school, like, elementary school. You know, you, like, do something bad, and you're like, oh, let me just rat out every single other person here as well. But I'm still going to get in trouble for it. It's just, just horribly uh, handled. So, Eric, you mentioned that this Kobe and Shaq thing, obviously, is kind of unprecedented. Certainly in terms of the scale, it, it basically derailed what a potential dynasty, even beyond what it was. But it's still what Kobe did there can't possibly be the worst thing that a teammate has done, even in in recent NBA history, when you have one Mr. Frenchman, Tony Parker. Oh, well, I've been telling people not to trust Pepe Le Pew's for a while, so. (laughs) (laughs) As we we lose our our entire French audience there. (laughs) Sorry, French people. Uh, But yeah, that was definitely, definitely worse. To this day, they, they claim that Brent Berry's wife, Erin Berry, or former wife, they're known divorced, and Tony Parker, who at the time was married to Eva Longoria of, what was that show? Uh, Desperate Housewives. Desperate Housewives. That, yeah, and, uh, and they were they were like a, a celebrity couple legitimately, like you'd see them on like People Magazine, things like that. Like they were a known couple, Tony and, and Eva. Eva was actually a Spurs fan. That's how, you know, she met Tony. And what's wild about it, apparently Tony Parker and Eva Longoria, they used to do this thing like if you were a recent signing to the Spurs, they'll take you around, you and your, you know, significant other, show you the city, show you some, some of the hot spots in San Antonio, even though I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what could be a hot spot in San Antonio. But I digress. And that's how the Parkers and the Berries became close. And for whatever reason, apparently Brent and Aaron were going through some marriage difficulties. And in swoops Peppy Le Pew, <laughs> and apparently they start sending each other provocative messages. Eva Longoria sees the phone with the messages and she confronts Tony and then she publicly spills the beans of this being a primary reason for them getting a divorce. And Brent Berry and Tony Parker, who up to that point were thick as thieves with each other, Suddenly, they had a huge falling out, and they just apparently couldn't even be in the same room with each other because Tony Parker may or may not have had sex with his wife. 
Yeah, from all accounts I've heard, and granted, I do not have any firsthand information about this, but it does actually seem as if Tony Parker really did sleep with Brent Barrett's wife. And there is multiple levels of breaking of bro code here. I mean, it's just like, it's bad enough that you're sleeping with someone's wife, but it's your teammate that's doing it to you? Like, oh my God, that's gotta be just brutal. And I just remember that San Antonio team, they had been together for years and there was a really tight-knit group. And apparently that was something that really bothered that locker room, although it certainly didn't seem to translate to on the court where they continue to win. But man, talk about breaking every teammate code there is. You know, it's funny about Tony Parker and the way he chose to handle this. It's like, I think a lot of his game represents how he handled the situation, too. He's always been a very sneaky player, you know, with the floater. <laughs> game. He, uh, you know, it's a quick dribbler, a nice little pull up mid range, but never really wants to take a lot of contact. So when pause, 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 pull up, the pull up mid range game. What is that a euphemism for? Eric, I'll let your imagination uh, run wild there, but uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, Tony Parker's game really it shows here. Like he's a little bit of a sneaky guy, huh? I mean, no doubt. It seems Brent Berry didn't get the old wisdom that you don't leave your wife around a Frenchman. So here we are. You speak as if you know from experience. There, <laughs> you're very very anti French. Where's this coming from, bro? <laughs> Eric, what the hell? <laughs> It, it, it sounds like there's some trauma in my life, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, we don't have to worry about them in a war, so we might have, we have to worry about something, right? When it comes to the French. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> we're, we're really trying to lose our French audience here. Well, Anushan should know about these French people, being that he's from Canada. Aren't you guys like half French? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Quebec, it's a whole other place. I live in Ontario, man. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, yeah, and the funniest thing is Brett Barry is considered one of the nicest dudes in the NBA, which is doubly funny when you think about his dad. Rick Barry is one of the most disliked NBA players in history, to the point that no one even <laughs> talks about as one of the greats because they just hate him so much. <laughs> but poor Brett, he got screwed over by Tony Parker. I got another point guard for you, though, guys. This guy is near and dear to my heart. He's my favorite basketball player of all time. And there's many beefs you can go with with Jason Kidd. You could talk about him getting upset at Vince Carter's laziness, his many disputes with coaches over the years, his dispute with the water that he was holding in his hand when he threw it onto the court in the most flagrant <laughs> violation of on-court ethics that I've seen. He really should put that moment in the Hall of Fame. It really belongs there. That, this is gamesmanship, guys. Just gamesmanship. But I'm going to go with a different one. A throwback. How about Jason Kidd and Jim Jackson back in the day on the Dallas Mavericks over the singer Tony Braxton. So I grew up with the hugest crush on Tony Braxton. So <laughs> I just I just want everyone to know I legit understand why men would go to war over Tony Braxton. I get it. <laughs> right. I right, completely right, right. get it. Yep. But that team, that 1996 Mavericks team, they were like up and coming. They had three stars under 25. You had of course, the Hall of Famer, Jason Kidd. You had Jamal Mashburn, a four who was a, a hell of a score. You had Jimmy Jackson on a wing as a score. They had a lot to be happy about. And apparently, Jason Kidd, you know, he's gaining some clout off of his newfound fame. He's dating the siren, Tony Braxton. 
fresh off of a huge album, her second album, which was dope. Everyone should listen. And they're, they're dating. Apparently, Tony Braxton shows up to their team hotel in the limo to pick up Jason Kidd. Jimmy Jackson Caesar hops in a whip and these guys now hate each other because he's Mr. Steal Your Girl. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much to unpack. Jimmy Jackson is a bit of a forgotten name in the NBA, although he's having a resurgence as a commentator and he's pretty good at it. He was a legitimate basketball player. I mean, this guy, he wasn't quite an all-star player, but he was beyond a role player. He was like a good starter who could, you could run a little bit of offense through. And that that team with, with that combination of players that you mentioned, that big three, looked like they were set for a decade going forward. But instead, entirely because of this incident, it led that team to completely fall apart. And it, it kind of set Jason Kidd's trajectory of his career in a totally different way in which it wound up eventually going to Phoenix and then New Jersey and then, you know, onward and eventually back to Dallas where he won a championship. But they could have been a long dynasty back there, or at least they could have tried to build something organic there. And instead they had to sort of dissolve this team entirely because of this fight over Tony Braxton. So what's wild about that, AC, it kind of didn't have to snowball the way it did if Tony Braxton didn't kind of like throw kindling <laughs> on the fire. So she went before like a radio station promoting her album and Jason Kidd and Jimmy Jackson came up and Tony's like, oh, I don't kiss and tell, which at the time they were trying to deny this stuff. But once she does that, it's like almost as if she's confirming <laughs> that, <laughs> that Jimmy Jackson and her swerved off on Jason Kidd. <laughs> and so, like, this is one of those beefs that was clearly, by outsiders, the Flames were fan, and it got bigger than it needed to be. And that team could have legit, as you were saying, AC, could have been a contender because these were, like, a young core. No, I totally agree with you, Eric. I mean, a, a young Jason Kidd was, like, an absolute phenom to watch. And as AC said, Jim Jackson was, was very good in his own right. He was a really good shooter at the time. Of course, maybe not at that all-star level, but also he had a lot of size to him, too. He was around that 6'7", 6'8", mark, so good player. Mashburn, also an athletic monster at the time. A really good young core to play with. It just sucks because when it comes to these celebrities and how they decide to conduct themselves, not just Tony Braxton, but just any celebrity that gets involved with, you know, NBA players too. It's like, it's so fragile what can happen when it comes to teammates, especially. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. So, you know, just a really tragic moment for the Mavericks there and what could have been, right? No doubt. Egos always get in the way. Definitely with young guys. So I, I think it's, it's important to remember that these weren't, like season season veterans they were fairly young so it, it makes sense that something that we would think as being fairly trivial i'm sure these guys they they got a lot of women but it, it was just one of those things where their egos wouldn't allow them to get over this thing that should have been easily put on the back burner so from one of ac's favorite players we have to go to another one of ac's favorite players and I know that you're a pretty big Chris Webber guy, huh, AC? We got to talk about his beef here with Mr. Jalen Rose. So I'll head it over to you. I bet you know a lot about that. Wow. I mean, you're absolutely right. If if Jason Kidd's my favorite player, Chris Webber is like right behind him. And I just have a thing for these extremely flawed players who at the same time could pass such an incredible level that they just make 
their teams better. And so both these guys have personality flaws. Both these guys have gotten into a lot of trouble over the years, but I couldn't help but root for them. And with Chris Webber, it's actually the trouble that he got himself into that led to the fraying of the relationship with Jalen Rose. So for those who might not know, Chris Webber and Jalen Rose grew up in Detroit along with Juwan Howard and the other members of what eventually became the Fab Five. And they were the best players in that state at that age range. And they had played against each other sometimes. And then they befriended each other. And they all committed simultaneously to play for the University of Michigan. And they ended up starting as five freshmen, which was unheard of before. And that squad, they got to two deep runs in March Madness. And ultimately and famously wound up losing in part because of Chris Webber's infamous timeout. But that's not what led their relationship to fall apart, although I think Chris Weber thinks that's a huge reason why. What happened was that Weber got in trouble for taking money from a booster, and it led the University of Michigan's banners and everything they achieved to be invalidated, almost as if the entire Fab Five didn't exist. And that kind of led to a real falling out between Weber and Rose. They didn't talk for a long, long time. There was a little bit of a public thawing again, but then again, it, it escalated. So these are two guys who were basically best friends, and it completely fell apart. And to this day, I don't think it's quite recovered. And just when you think their relationship, the ice is thawing, it seems one of them, and it's usually Chris Webber, does something that makes them go back to being like enemies. And I don't know why this hasn't been gotten over. Like they literally played college ball with each other 30 years ago. So you would think they would get over this. They're, they're all in their 50s now. But for whatever reason, it's the beef that keeps on giving, which in a sense, I'm happy about as a, a person who likes these type of little conflicts, but also is, is really childish. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does suck when you have a guy that you sort of grew up together with, you play basketball with like that, and for him to sort of betray your trust and everything that it seemed like you guys built together, it's a relationship that even in anyone's regular life, it would sting a lot. And of course, both of them are still involved in the NBA sphere. Obviously, Jalen works with the ESPN. Chris Webber here in their commentates during big games, the finals games. So they're always going to be intertwined in a way. So I hope that they're able to mend this issue that they're having together. But that kind of thing can affect you for a long time. And I think some people not might not realize why this beef is so important considering it was a beef that pretty much takes place prior to the NBA or at the very least it started from something that went down in college but the Fab Five those guys were so important culturally for what the modern NBA became like think of the sartorial aesthetics you like saw with Allen Iverson the baggy clothes and the cornrows that became iconic. That was the Fab Five that set the groundwork for Iverson to become the style icon that he will later become. So like from a cultural perspective, those guys at University of Michigan were huge with how we perceive basketball players now. Yeah, Eric, the Fab Five 
popularized shorts that went below the knee. That wasn't a thing. You know, you can really credit them for all of us growing up not having to wear short shorts. That was it's entirely Fab Five that started that trend. They're the ones who started black socks. That's a huge thing that, I mean, to this day, I only wear black socks. I never wear white socks when I'm playing ball. And that's something that they pioneered. And the other thing that the Fab Five did is they showed that a freshman that's really talented can play and win in college basketball. And that sort of changed and, and in some ways set the stage for eventually what would be people starting in their freshman year and eventually one and dones. Now, there had been people like Moses Malone, maybe just Moses Malone, actually, to come to think of it, who had come straight from high school. But even coming one year from college and going to the NBA was unheard of because you just couldn't start there and, and make a showcase for your talents. That just completely changed with the 5-5. Five, five. And the whole country kind of rooted against them or for them. You know, you picked a side. Either you were really for this sort of rebellious group of young kids or you were against them. And their failures, especially Weber's timeout and their successes were just so legendary that to just have it all raced away was probably pretty painful for those guys. But I, I agree with Eric. Ultimately, guys, it's been 30 years. Y'all the Fab Five. I mean, you know, it's, it's time to, to reunite. Guys, we can't talk about beefs if we don't talk about a man who his beef almost outright killed someone. <laughs> so like, we got to talk about Gilbert Arenas and Javaris Crittenton. Oh my God. Agent Zero. This dude lit up the league for the early part of the 2000s. And then a situation came about where he almost wound up lighting up the locker room with guns. I mean, it's one of the craziest stories in recent NBA history. And it's actually a pretty scary story for the NBA as a league because a, a bet on a plane wound up with guys showing up to his locker room with guns. And, and for those who might remember, Gilbert Arenas... He was the scoring guard who, in some ways, preceded this wave of guards that came after who could pull up and, and hit a 28-foot jump shot and could still drive to the hoop. He was a score-first, shoot-first guard that was actually pretty successful. But following this gun incident, it all kind of fell apart for him. Yeah, with Gil, no chill, Gil. You just had to be there. He was this guy that, at any given time, he was a threat to give you 50. Or just do something absolutely crazy because he's incredibly eccentric, but he was also incredibly talented. So when his locker room incident with Javaris happened, I feel like under normal circumstances, any other player who brought guns to a locker room under the auspices of some type of duel, because apparently Javaris owed Gil money. Javaris wasn't paying it on time. Gil told him he needed to pay up. And Javar said, what are you going to do? Make me? So Gil, the next day, comes with multiple pistols and tells Javaris, hey, <laughs> here are pistols. You can choose one. As if these guys are at the OK Corral and one of them is Wyatt Earp and the other is Doc <laughs> Holliday or something. And, oh, Good. and like Javar. The Doc Holliday of all people. Uh, Doc's my guy. Doc's my guy. But Gilbert said this to Javaris, who of all people, and I doubt Gil knew this, had gang ties and just two years later ended up being convicted of a murder for which he's currently serving 23 years in prison. Wait, what the fuck? I've never heard this story. Seriously? Okay. Absolutely. So some cat robbed him in Atlanta and he ran up on the guy like two months later and shot at the guy, but he didn't hit the guy. He hit the woman Oh, that was shit. with oh, the guy. God. And the lady, she was shot in a leg, but during operation, 
she died from complications from the operation because it was something like it snipped her femoral artery. The same injury that Sean Teller in football died from. So, yeah, Gil did this with a guy that actually is a shooter. But Gil, <laughs> always being on joke time, didn't realize that this guy would actually shoot him. And apparently it took a bunch of players in the Wizards locker room, amongst them Karam Butler and Antoine Jameson, to defuse the situation because my man was actually going to shoot him, they said. Like, Javaris pulled out his own pistol and was ready for gunplay. Jesus Christ. I mean, this just sounds as bad as you, you hear it for the first time. Like, I'm pretty much in awe. Like, I knew the a little bit of the details about it, but I didn't know it was this insane. That's absolutely incredible. You know, it's funny, Eric. You call him a shooter, but uh, it seems like he can't even hit his target. He hits the woman instead of hitting <laughs> oh, the oh, target. That's horrible. But, uh, yeah, I, it goes to show. It showed there and also in his NBA career, evidently. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. I, that's crazy. I mean, I, I, I remember this story, you know, it was around the time I was in maybe in college, maybe a little after. And I remember kind of being a little bit numb to this story because I just, I, I didn't want it to be made too much out of it. Cause you know, maybe these guys were just talking about in the locker room or whatever else. But the more I heard about it, it was like, oh my God, wait, there's actually guns in the locker room. And I got to wonder guys, what card game were they playing on that plane that led to this? Was it Bure? Was it, I mean, spades? I mean, poker? Like, what led to this? So, so we know, we know those spades is very, like, big with a certain segment of the population that they come from. <laughs> NBA guys, when they get into, like, fights over, like, gambling debts, it's always Bure. Like, yeah. you can just, like, categorically guess that it was Bure. That was my guess. There's so many famous NBA stories about fights breaking out on team buses or team planes because of a game of Bure. So we could probably have a whole pod just on that. And maybe some of the other ones we're going to talk about later will come from that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. But that's that's the NBA, right? You're you're traveling with people all the time. You're going to be playing cards with them. And sometimes tempers flare. It just happens at this time. Gilberina's little joke completely backfired because the guy was actually a gang member. <laughs> <laughs> that's messed up man but think of what has to go through one's mind to think as a lark oh yeah i'm, I'm just i'm gonna make a joke right i'm gonna bring pistols around as a joke why does that make sense as a joke gil like what's <laughs> going through your head i mean these days he does go by no chill gil on his social medias and he's a pretty pretty prominent figure on social media now too so you know, Gilbert has never really been the type of guy who had his head screwed on properly. But, I mean, the dude could ball out. He did his job. So, yeah, that's what you get with Gilbert. I think Eric used the perfect word to describe him. Eccentric. He's eccentric in every sense of the word. In the, in his interviews, in the way he dresses at times. Just, it is his mannerisms alone. So, he probably did think this would be a really funny joke. It just, unfortunately for him, it you know, nearly cost him his life. And it certainly cost him his reputation. I mean, that, that's the sad outcome of this for Gilbert. You know, soon after that, he gets injured as well. But I think he took a huge hit there. And, and had this incident not happened, I think maybe teams would have given him more opportunities to come back again to the league than he actually ended up receiving, which is sort of the sad fallout of it. 
So we also have to talk about one of the other huge beefs between Scottie Pippen and Barkley. Now, Eric and AC, I know that you guys are both big NBA heads. And you know what both of these guys have done for the NBA in terms of their statures. But tell us a little bit about the beef between them. I mean, this is one of those classic stories of two guys that, for whatever reason, just don't like each other. They never really have. You know, back in the days of the dream team, you know, you heard a lot of stories about Barkley hanging out with Jordan. You never heard about him hanging out with Pippen. Pippen and Barkley wound up becoming teammates in Houston in what was supposed to be a super team, the two of them in Olajuwon. And Barkley was frequently out of shape at that point of his career. And Pippen constantly mocked him for it. And also basically said publicly multiple times that Jordan was right about Barkley, that he was too lazy and things like that. And that beef has continued even beyond their playing days. And I always thought that Barkley loved taking it to Pippen a little bit too. I mean, obviously, Pippen's an incredible player, but Barkley was an even better overall basketball player. So Barkley got to a level where he could just score on him. But well after their playing days... They keep taking shots, you know, little snide remarks here and there in the media. I feel a lot of what has like metastasized in their relationship has a lot to do with what made both of them great players. Scotty is the proverbial hard worker. He made himself through through deeds into an all-time great player. Barkley's just a supreme talent. And I I feel like at the point in their career that they played with each other, it was on the back end. They were old. They were past their prime. Barkley, who never actually developed the process of actually working hard, he, he was a lot like Shaq. He would come into seasons a little bit out of shape. And you had Pippen, who was on the back end of his career, but has six rings at this point and had always won in his career because he he was a workaholic. They were just bound to not like each other. They were bound to butt heads. And it's not surprising that to this day, they still don't like each other because Pippen seems like the type of guy that doesn't let anything like slide. He has the memory of an elephant. So most of the things you hear, the back and forth with their relationship, it's usually Scottie Pippen making little snide ass comments and then Charles Barkley responding. And it's it's unfortunate, but it's also funny. So, you know, <laughs> Chuck's the fat ass underachiever like Scottie Pippen said one day. And Scottie's the guy who will never be Chuck. It is what it is. Yeah, Eric. I mean, you said it really well. It's It's the classic tale of hard work versus supreme talent. And we know the kind of personalities that Barkley has, and obviously Pippen as well. But Barkley especially is a guy that, you know, when he hears something, he just has to comment on it, right? Like, he can't just let things slide for the most part. So, obviously, with Pippen taking little jabs here and there, I mean, Barkley's a guy with a huge ego, both in his playing days and even now to a certain degree. Like, he constantly gets into it with Shaq, right? So, he's just a guy that is going to respond no matter what. And it's entertaining for us to see, but at the same time, you got to think, okay, guys, like, it's been a couple years now. You guys can relax a little bit. Yeah, there's another backdrop to this, and I think this also led to an inevitable like fracture with these two guys in their relationship. Barkley was a close friend at the time of Michael Jordan, like one of his like drinking, gambling, philandering buddies. Scottie Pippen, of course, was his on the court consigliere. And I think that dynamic and, and Jordan's this type of guy that everyone's always vying for his attention and his respect. So both of these guys 
who are in that Jordan ecosystem, they just couldn't share the floor with each other because <laughs> their relationship was predicated on kind of like, I guess for lack of a better word or phrasing, kissing Jordan's ass. Yeah, though they did it in very different ways. That's the thing that I, and one one guy actually partied with him and the other guy played with him. And <laughs> there's an old interview where Jordan actually said, I enjoy hanging out with Charles Barkley, but I wouldn't want to actually play with him because he's lazy. And so it's it's basically Jordan saying the same sentiment as Pippen, but he also enjoyed hanging out with this guy. So it's an interesting angle to propose there, Eric, because... There's no question that Pippen and Jordan weren't personally close outside of basketball where that Barkley and Jordan were. On the other hand, Jordan won zero rings without Scottie Pippen, and he knows that, acknowledges just as much all the time. So guys, let's end with one final one. And I want to bring it a bit more to our modern times, with guys who obviously are in the news all the time, and that's LeBron James versus Paul Pierce. And it feels like this is a really one-sided beef, honestly, because Pierce is the type of guy that just, he can't stop putting LeBron's name in his mouth. So, I mean, <laughs> take it away, fellas. What do you got? Well, apparently it's because ESPN forced him to talk about LeBron. <laughs> Did you hear that recent comment? That yeah, he said that yeah, I heard about he that. He hated working there because they always make him talk about LeBron, which, by the way, is probably actually true. Freaking ESPN does nothing but cover LeBron 24-7, which oh, I, makes, Oh, I, I completely believe Paul there. Like, yeah, I think it, that's the one true thing that he said. For a guy who's known as the truth, Eric, uh, he doesn't seem to really uh, say a lot of it, huh? He's lying all the time. He lies on his career. He lies on his relevance. He's always lying. The funny thing about this beef is that it started with Paul Pierce spitting at LeBron. Yes, taking his <laughs> saliva and projecting it toward LeBron. So a reasonable start to a, a beef, if you ask me. A reasonable start to a beef that, again... Paul was the instigator in. He literally went into the Cavs locker room and LeBron's rookie season followed him and spit at him. And then, of course, there's the seeds of that rivalry that started from maybe spitting each other came to a head over the course of several postseasons where these guys kept facing each other. Famously, in 2008, they had an amazing seven-game series, which the Celtics won in, in one of the classic Game 7s, where both LeBron and Paul Pierce had fantastic games. In 2010, LeBron completely, I don't know if he quit on his team, or I don't know what the hell happened, but Boston ends up beating a, a heavily favored Cleveland team that year. And then after that, when LeBron went to Miami, he got his revenge, knocking out the Celtics, just off the top of my head, at least in 2011. 11, 2012, and then 2014, a game in which, Eric, you and I actually saw ourselves when Paul Pierce was on the Nets at that point, and LeBron drops 49 to close out the Nets. It was glorious because it was like seeing this like hyper-strong, like great, punching at kids and just bludgeoning them to death. I loved it. The battles between Paul Pierce and LeBron, as far as players go, are actually really fun to watch. I mean, you can go on YouTube, search up all the highlights. They have a lot of good games that they play against each other. Obviously, outside of that, Paul Pierce is a guy who he's made tons of comments that are just like super off the wall. I remember him making a comment about Clay Thompson, about how he's a better shooter than him. Same with Dwayne Wade with overall careers, how he claims that his career is better than Dwayne Wade's. So like he he just loves his say things that are super out of pocket and no doubt pierce had a good career for sure but i don't think he's all that he's made himself out to be and if you think of a beef between the two of paul pierce and lebron i mean i just think that it's so insignificant like the two players are on totally different stratospheres 
But isn't that how beefs usually are? I mean, look at MJ and all the guys he beefed with over the years. How many of them were really even on his level? And we'll talk about MJ in part two because there are so many good MJ stories we could do. But, you know, getting back on topic here, Paul Pierce, I guess they played the same position. And, and here's a guy who maybe when they started the careers, he probably thought, oh, I'm better than this guy. And it, pretty soon, LeBron was clearly winning all the accolades. But then Paul Pierce was still beating him, right? Then after Miami... LeBron starts beating Paul Pierce and knocking him out year after year. So it makes sense why he has some sort of deep-seated hatred for LeBron. But the thing that's a little bit unprofessional about Paul Pierce as a commentator is that he lets that bias filter into his comments. He's constantly saying crazy things specifically about LeBron James. Even for a guy who's known to make crazy comments, as Anu said, he'll just say things like, I don't think he's a top 10 player. Or like, if he loses this year, he's going to slide back down those rankings out of the top 10. I mean, anybody who thinks that LeBron James is not a top 10 player is just out of their fucking mind. You know what I'm saying? So this guy, he's using his media platform to try to chip at the legacy of a guy that he himself couldn't stop. If anyone says that LeBron James is not a top 10 player, they should be revoked from talking about basketball at all, ever. They're just not allowed to speak about basketball because that's such a blasphemous statement that it actually hurts the soul of anyone who legitimately even like even follows the NBA just a little bit. Like everyone who knows the NBA knows that LeBron is definitive top five for sure. There's just no argument. Every time he begins to slander LeBron James, I hear in my head Stephen A. Smith saying, stay off the weed. <laughs> well, that's a hell of a good Stephen A. impression. Yeah, Eric, what the hell? Nice job, man. Should we call you Eric A. Smith? No, <laughs> It's just like, you have to have a drug adult brain to say some of the things that he has said relative to LeBron James that it's just like, come on, my man, we get it. You were winning series against LeBron when you were older with the better team, like the initial big three when they first got together. You all beat them. Then when LeBron stopped playing with plumbers and played with some actual guys in Miami. You saw <laughs> the plumbers, though. <laughs> and, and then throughout this whole, like, you all's supposed rivalry with each other, which it seems to be at this point kind of a one-sided rivalry that's only in Paul's head. Throughout this, LeBron was outperforming you statistically. Even when he was losing to you, he was outperforming you. So it's just like, come on. You don't have his resume. You don't have the playoff, like, win-loss record against him. You don't have where he will end historically. And yet, for some reason, in your head, you all are equals. But I think Draymond, or I said Draymond, Draymond <laughs> crystallized this perfectly in Paul Pierce's last season when he looked at Paul Pierce on the bench and he said, you're not Kobe. You're not going to have an awards tour. You're not important. Paul oh, Pierce shit. isn't as important as he likes to think he is. And to me, that pretty much sums him up and his career versus LeBron. It's just been a hater. Damn, Eric. Well, I guess uh, he's going to have to handle the truth, being the truth. <laughs> it's like a nice corny joke there. I, I, I put my best all sweet. Our editor extraordinaire and fellow podcast host, all sweet. I almost feel bad for Paul after that. But 
Man, we got so many other beefs to talk about. We haven't even touched Westbrook versus Patrick Beverly, or Oakley versus Barkley, or Shaq versus Dwight over the Superman thing, Magic versus Isaiah, Jordan versus all hosts of people, KD versus Draymond Green, KD versus Westbrook. I mean, it just goes on and on in this league. So we've got to have a part two. Thank you guys for tuning in to part one. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time on Brown Men Won't Jump. Later, y'all.